Welcome to Seed Time Living. This is where we help you transform your financial life using timeless biblical principles. I'm your host, Bob Lodick, and I'm so glad to have you here today. We are really excited because we're really enjoying this book. Mm -hmm. So this is Five Well Secrets 96% of us don't know. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a book study on this, and we are on chapter three today. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And there's some good stuff in here, right? There's some really good stuff in here. A lot of revelation things that I'm getting Mm -hmm. out of it and really enjoying it. So let's dive in, shall we? Let's dive in. All right, so this one. This is number three. This is wealth secret number three. Invest in multiplication. Mm -hmm. Invest in things that multiply. Yep. And so like we've been doing here, I'm going to read through a few different yeah, just some of the highlights that I had from this, and we can kind of expand on them a little bit. Okay. If any of you are reading this book yet, because we haven't been talking about it now, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. So yeah. feel free to throw those in as we're going through And how this. many are there? There's five? Uh, yeah, five. So we're only on number three. You have time to go buy this book yeah. <laughs> and finish it with us, finish the last two with us. Yeah. So we're going to do number four next week and number five the following week. Mm-hmm. All right, so while the 96 tend to use most or all of their money to purchase things that depreciate, the 4% allocate a significant portion of the money to things that multiply. So this would be like spending a ton of money on a car that Mm -hmm. depreciates immediately and over time and if you get in an accident and everything else, right? Yeah, so he says, as a result, the 4% thinkers never borrow for personal consumption or purchase depreciating items on credit. And that, that's something that I have been thinking about ever since I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was the one biggest takeaway I had, I had from that book was the idea of buying what he called assets. So things that put money in your pocket, spend your money on as many of those things as possible. And at the same time, reduce the amount of money you're spending on things that are going down in value. And if you do that, you know, even a small percentage of your money on a regular basis, like you're, you start building your net worth, you start moving forward financially. And so that is a really, really powerful principle. Mm-hmm. All right. So he says, I saw something very ironic just last weekend in a meeting held at our congregation. Bill, who loves God with all of his heart, as I do, wore a T-shirt to the meeting with the words written, One Master. Of course, the master to which he was referring was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I was remembering the teacher you gave me when I was 10 years old when you showed me a Bible verse from Proverbs 22.7. It said... Um, Oh, you asked me the question whether I wanted to grow up to rich or poor or a slave or a master. You taught me that this verse tells that the borrower is servant to the master. And I thought this was so ironic that Bill would wear this T-shirt declaring that he has one master when I know for a fact he's borrowed a lot of money from various credit cards and finance companies and thus in reality is a servant to many masters. (laughs) One of his masters is so bold that they even put their name on the card. They call it Master Card. Pretty funny. And so he goes on to say, if God personally appeared in physical form in our church and asked us as a congregation to participate financially in a missions project, most people couldn't do so, whether they wanted to or not. 100% of their monthly cash flow is already allocated to their debt obligations. So in reality, they can't obey the master because they have many other masters who they who must be satisfied first. That one got me. I think... So we don't have debt, but it still got me because I feel we've like been there. we've been there. And that was a lot of our motivation for getting out of debt. Yeah. And I feel like this is something a little bit easier for you because 
you are the one that has driven most of this. And so that really convicted me to my core. Like, even though I'm not in any debt, I feel like there was a heart issue that needed to be tweaked Mm -hmm. just in reading that, like thinking about, am I okay? Who, who is my master? And am I, am I treating the master that way? Yeah. I remember just that desire to, to want to be out of debt just because we were paying hundreds of dollars a month to the credit card companies for mm-hmm. interest charges. Yeah. You're not even just what we borrowed, but interest charges to them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I remember having that revelation of if we just pay off this debt, we can instantly transfer hundreds of dollars we're spending on interest charges mm-hmm. over to these organizations that we want to give to. Yeah. And we'll feel no different. Like our lifestyle will be exactly the same, mm-hmm. but we'll just change the money going from a, to a bank that I don't care about yeah. to, you know, these charities or missions or whoever that we really are passionate about that we want to support. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was a big motivator for me. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, I love the financial freedom. I love not having any debt, not feeling that burden, but just not being enslaved to whatever. Anyone else. Some of these banks or financially uh, companies like... That was a big deal for me. Yeah. And I mean, I think it'd be interesting as a God-fearing believer, if you are in debt, like what does it look like if God does appear in in front of you and ask you to give to someone? The question that I would ask is, can I trust God enough to take care of these other, these debts and give to what he's asking me to give to? Yeah. I mean, I think that is super challenging because... If God was asking you to do that, I would think he would cover the other things. But, I mean, I think this is a different and much more difficult and theological question than... <laughs> yeah, I think the point is, is that there is a wisdom component to managing your money. Like, there's mm-hmm. no doubt that God can provide in any kind of circumstances. Like, we see that throughout the Bible whenever, you know, the Israelites with the manna, yeah. you know, and like just many other instances, like um, Jesus pulling the uh, the coin out of the fish's mouth mm-hmm. and stuff like God will provide in crazy ways for us. Like there's no doubt about that. But there's also no doubt that there's a wisdom component here that is just part of biblical money management. It's a way that he designed and what he created. And, you yeah. Know. So I just want to always grow in that and grow in wisdom in that way. And just be more and more wise with what he's given and be as good a steward as we possibly can. Yeah, for you know? sure. All right, so I'm going to continue here. So for anybody who is just not caught up on this book, the idea is that 96% of us don't know these wealth secrets and 4% of us do. Also, throughout here, he's kind of telling a story. And so if it sounds like there's... Anyway, yeah, you, he's you using a father teaching a son about... Yeah. To kind of teach some of these money principles. Money management, yeah. All right. So it says, lending, continued Papa, multiplies the value of your money. Borrowing depletes the value of your money. While borrowing is not categorically wrong, the cost of borrowing, namely the interest, must always be significantly less than the value created through the investment. It may be wise to borrow to capitalize a business or to invest in a property or an asset that multiplies in value at a much greater rate than the cost of interest. However, the 96 percent frequently are willing to pay interest through borrowing to invest in something that not only doesn't increase in value at all, but also depreciates in value over the course of their loan. So it sounds like this is what several of your friends have done. Can you break that down? Because that is a little bit confusing. Yeah. So the point here is that the 96 will borrow for a car. He's saying that the 4% will not. Or for clothes. Because a car 
to well, get your yeah. eyelashes done. A couch, whatever, furniture yeah. in your house, what anything like this that is just going to go down in value. So your car, we all know this, cars depreciate really fast. As soon as you drive it off the lot, you've just driven $1,000 off mm-hmm. the lot or 2000 You know, That's just normal. We know that. We understand that. Most other things that most people buy tend to be depreciating assets. So if this is food, you know, you eat it, it's gone. There's no value there, obviously. Uh, On the other hand, real estate is something that generally at least holds its value and often increases in value. And so that would be an asset that is more likely to appreciate. And so I think according to what he's saying, uh, that's kind of like the bare minimum of what you want to do. But ideally, you're investing in something that's going to increase at a much better rate that would be a business or that would be an investment property or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm getting out of all this. All right, let's go to this next session here. This is from Exodus 36, 5. And so this is an interesting passage, which I, I remember reading this and just being like, wow, that is crazy. So I'll just read it to you. Uh, and then they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus, the people were restrained from bringing any more. Like, that's pretty crazy. And so yeah. then he goes on to say, Isaac, when have you ever heard your pastor in the congregation tell people to stop giving because they've already brought more than enough? I've never heard that. No. I've never heard anything even close to that. No. And I'm curious if any of you have. Let us know in the comments yeah. if you heard that at your church. But I think we all know that that is not how it typically goes. So he goes on to say, well, that's exactly what happened to ancient Israel. I was wondering how they were able to do that in that day. And we're not able able to even come close to that in our day. So I was asking myself, what's the difference then? Were the people more generous or did they have more resources? And then it dawned on me that the difference was that the people had, in that time, had no debt. And thus, they were in control of 100% of their own resources. They only had one master, which was God. Today, most people are in great debt and have given control of the resources to many masters. And most people are not able to be directed by God in their finances, even if they want to be, because they've already delegated authority over the resources and become slaves to their multiple masters. Mm. That is really interesting. I know. And I just wonder what that means in this whole equation. Yeah. Lisa and Aisha are like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) No way is yeah. it never hearing that. Never, they've church. never yeah. heard that from church. Yeah. I mean, Aisha says that she has heard of a goal being met, which I've heard yeah. that too. But, yeah. and that's really exciting. That's amazing that they're like, quit giving. <sighs> Go give towards something else. I mean, that's really exciting to yeah. think about. So here's something that, uh, this is really interesting. I think theory that he has here. I, I've never read this in the Bible, so I think this is a theory. <laughs> He says, well, then, I don't know if it happened exactly this way or not, but I believe that about 100 years ago, there was a global strategy conference in hell. Satan gathered all the demons and announced that he was looking for a new strategy by which he could enslave nations and generations to himself. The spirit of mammon, this is in Matthew 6.24, for anybody who wants to read more about it. The spirit of mammon raised his hand and stated that he had a plan. Mammon began, I think we can use a principle I learned from the Bible. Proverbs 22.7 says that the borrower is slave to the lender. We already have many institutions and individuals that we control from hell. They are completely dedicated to serve me, and I control them through their love of money. So we will begin to use these institutions and people to make money available to borrow at interest. 
Others who then borrow the money become slaves of the lenders whom we control. Yeah. And he just kind of goes on here in this conversation with this whole thing. Um, and so basically Satan says, well, how are we going to force them to do that? And he says, well, we don't need to at all. And he's like, well, there's no way they're going to fall for that. There's no way that Christians are going to fall for this. And he said, maybe not many at first, but we'll continue to deceive people and they'll get accustomed to the idea. And mm-hmm. at first, we'll only have a few who will borrow. But after a few short decades, I think most of the entire society acclimated, uh, will be acclimated to the idea of debt and most people will borrow and become our slaves. That and it's so is true. Interesting, because yeah, so true. I mean, I was raised in a Christian household, and I didn't know that it was possible to not have debt. Yeah, at least on your car and your home, right? And maybe if you're lucky, you'll pay off your car. And my parents weren't extravagant people by any means. I, I think that's what's so interesting about this is like. It's just crazy. How, how did fast. we go from not nobody having any debt really? Yeah, the first to, credit card was introduced like in the. I don't know, 50s or 60s. And when it yeah. first came out, like that was a, oh, you need to borrow. Like you were looked down upon for using a credit card. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I mean, everybody uses it. And it's it. just, and it's a status it's symbol to have like the black card or whatever, like <laughs> some of these really prestigious cards. And it's just crazy. It's crazy how fast it changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. The idea that this could have been a ploy of the enemy the entire time, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway, so the 96% tend to focus on what they don't have, and the 4% tend to focus on what they do have. The 4% many times expect God's supernatural multiplication of a very small initial amount. So, for example, in the story you mentioned, which I think this is uh, feeding the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, yeah. Okay, Jesus' disciples were baffled as to how they might feed several thousand people. Unfortunately, they were focused on what they did not have. Jesus asked his disciples to feed the people, and they immediately began to tell Jesus that they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough money, and even if they did, there was no town nearby with which Mm -hmm. they could buy food. And so that's really interesting. So there, Jesus says, hey, do this, and they're telling them all the reasons that we can't do that. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like how many times am I doing that? Oh, yeah, me too. To the Lord when I feel like he's leading me something. I'm like, well, uh, no, I no, God, I don't (laughs) think you know. Like, I think you're missing something. Anyway, he goes on to say, finally, one follower, Andrew, changed his focus from what they didn't have to what they did have. And my paraphrase of what he said is this. One little boy here has his own personal lunch of five bread rolls and two fish, and he's willing to donate. I don't know what good that'll do among so many, but that is what we have. Jesus then took that personal lunch and released God's supernatural multiplication Mm -hmm. such that 5,000 men and their families were fed from that one personal lunch. So he said, Isaac, the point is this. God can naturally or supernaturally multiply by huge factors such as 100, 1,000, or even 10,000. However, even 10,000 times zero is still zero. A person who continues to focus on and uh, present to God what he does not have, or in other words, zero, will never experience God's multiplication. So this is another secret of the 4%. They always focus on what they have and expect it to multiply, even if it's a small amount. The 96% tend to focus on what they do not have and what they can't do. And as a result, they experience no multiplication. Yeah. This would be another parallel for this could be just with your time. It's like we are in a busy season, no doubt, and a challenging season. And by the end of the day, we're like beat. (laughs) You're seeing us right now. We are beat. (laughs) We're Um, hanging in there, though. Yeah, we're hanging in there. We could easily say we have no time to work. 
But here we are. We put our kids to bed about an hour ago, and we're making we're it happen. It. We're and we're like, it. we do have this little time, and yeah. we don't, you know, we're not ready to do this every night, but we can do this once a week, right? So yeah. that's where we are right now. Yeah. I, I do feel like we have multiplied our efforts by using the little time that we have. Yeah, but we've noticed this financially. Like we've had instances of this. For sure. Like, I, I mean, I'm thinking back to... I mean, it's similar enough thing, but that, that time where we were wanting to tithe, like we, we had been tithing for a while, and I messed up some math somewhere along the line after getting a, a raise at some oh, point yeah. or something, and I finally figured out, oh, we're actually not giving 10%. We wanted to be giving 10%, and we didn't have enough money mm-hmm. uh, in the natural to do it, no. but we decided to give what we could, what we did have to do that, even though it didn't make sense numbers-wise. Yeah, and then like immediately the next day we saw the provision show up. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just so cool when that happens, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I just feel like we've seen that over and over again. And um, another instance from the Bible where he talks about this is in Second Kings chapter four. And this is with the uh, the widow and Elijah, right. and her husband had borrowed money and thereby make, made himself a servant to his creditors until the debt was paid. Unfortunately, the man died and left his family to face the creditors. When the creditors came to collect, they demanded to take the widow's two sons as literal slaves for payment for that debt. The woman cried out to Elisha the prophet, and the prophet immediately asked her, What do you have in the house? The woman said, I have nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I have nothing except this one thing. <laughs> right. Again, we see the woman is focused on what she does not have. Elisha didn't ask her what she didn't have. He asked her what she did have. And even when she told him, she had completely discounted this one jar of oil because mm-hmm. it was, insu- she thought, insufficient. And this is how the 96 always think. They don't understand or expect natural or supernatural multiplication. However, the 4% of which Elijah was one focus on what is available and expect multiplication. And for anybody who doesn't know, I'll just continue the story a little bit. So Elisha then is, uh, instructed the woman to borrow as many jars as she could and begin to pour the oil from one jar into the other jars. And upon doing so, the woman found that God supernaturally multiplied the oil to fill all the, jo- jo- all the jars. jars that she had. <laughs> Told you we're beat. <laughs> yeah. Elisha then instructed the woman to sell the multiplied oil and to use the money to pay her husband's debt. And then have sufficient leftover for her family to live um, on for some time. And it's just so good. That's amazing. I mean, that is loaves and fishes type of miracle right there. Same thing. But I just love that. I love just looking at what's in your hand. And this is the, this is really part of why we named our site Seed Time. You know, it's this idea of you have this tiny little seed, the potential that's there. If it's all you have is this one seed, like, there's just so much power in that. And that's one of the beautiful things I think about God, uh, the way God's creation works, you know, and especially like plants, all the power, like there's endless power and potential wrapped up in one seed. Mm-hmm. I literally just wrote this article, um, a couple, I actually wrote it a while ago, just published it a couple weeks ago about how you can feed the entire world from a single apple. And I, I went and did the math on this whole thing. And basically an apple has... I think average apple is like five to seven seeds or something like that. And so if you multiply this out, you take one apple, you take those seeds and plant them. And then in about five or seven years, they start bearing uh, fruit. And then each one of those have seeds. So you just multiply this thing out. If you do this, take that one apple tree, plant them, and just continue to plant every single seed that you get. 
Within 40 years, you literally can feed the entire world from that one apple seed. So you can read it for all the numbers to kind of see it. It's absolutely amazing. But that's the point is that God wraps all this potential up in a seed. And it's that same idea that you can take something that's really small, seemingly insignificant, and and expect God to multiply it. Mm -hmm. And we can see him do some really awesome things. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about this is another interesting point that I want to highlight in here. He's reading Matthew 5, 5 here. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I always thought meekness was just another word for humility, but I've since learned that humility is an attitude while meekness is an action. Humility is who I am while meekness is what I do. I further learned from the Bible dictionary that meekness is a fruit of power. The dictionary states that Jesus was meek not because he was impotent, but rather because he voluntarily limited himself to use only a small percentage of his available power. So I've come to define meekness this way. Meekness is voluntary limiting of the use of available resources or power. A meek person is one who has great power or resources, but voluntarily limits oneself to use only a percentage of those resources. Mm. So something I realized as I thought about this was the fact that meekness and debt are then opposites. If meekness is having margin, then the opposite of this having negative margins. So meekness is having a certain capacity and voluntarily using less than 100%. So interesting. So that is a really interesting way of looking at it that I have never really thought of. Mm -hmm. And I, I never really understood meekness, I don't think, either. But Yeah, me either. But that idea... I'm working on a book right now, and that's one of the things that I'm writing about in this one chapter is just this idea of never spend 100% of your money. We're going to, for our anniversary in a couple of days, we're going to rent this Tesla, and it's like the fastest <laughs> Tesla that they make. And I'm really excited because I uh, haven't gotten to drive a lot of fast cars, and I'm kind of excited to drive this one. I'm not going to drive 200 miles an hour, I promise. But the point is, is that you can have a really fast car. And you don't have to show off. You don't have to drive at 200 miles an hour to prove that that power is there. Right. If I pull up at a stoplight next to someone to <laughs> who knows about this car, like they're not even going to try to race me in this car because they know the power is there. And um, Unless they just want to see it. Well, maybe, but that's a different point. <laughs> but we aren't going to do that. We're going to stay safe. Yeah. And the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah, I just looked it up. I'm like, it says that, right? <laughs> but yeah. it's uh, in Matthew 5, 5, yeah. the Beatitudes. All right. So summing this kind of chapter up, he says, secret number three is invest in things that multiply. Never borrow money to purchase a depreciating asset or to invest in something that doesn't increase the value of the asset or cash flow significantly more than the cost of interest you must pay to borrow the money. So summing all that up. Don't buy things on credit that go down in value, you know? And so this is where, in general, credit cards, you know, and I think we all know this. This isn't like a brand new revelation for most of us, but I think it's a good reminder for us and a little bit more additional motivation to to fight to get those credit cards paid off, to fight to get the car loans Mm -hmm. paid off, to fight to break out of the car loan cycle. Mm -hmm. That was something that I think was a huge part of our financial progress. Yeah. Breaking out of the mindset of, I just always have to have a car payment. Like, that's the way it always has to be. And getting it paid off and then just be continue contributing that whatever, two dollars $300 a month instead of to the, the lender, now to your savings account, build up a savings so yeah. you can at least have a big down payment and possibly buy the next one with cash. 
Yeah, and I think this meekness thing in there is like, because of the way debt works now, like you can take a significant size loan to buy a new car or to buy a house or whatever the thing may be. Doesn't mean you should take that entire thing, right? One of the things that we did was after we were married, we had paid off our debt. You bought your sister's car Hmm. for $1,000 and you told me this is our, this is an insurance policy. Not to say that we didn't have car insurance. Yeah, so but just adding a little bit more color to that story. Yeah, real go quick. ahead. So we had two older cars. Yeah. And she was trading her car into the dealership, and they were going to give her $1,000 for it. I knew it was a good car. It was an old car, but it was a good car that had been really well taken care of. I'm like, no. You pointed I, at me like it was me. Pointed, yeah, it was my sister. It, yeah. But uh, so anyway, so I'm like, no, you're not going to trade it. I'm going to buy it off you for $1,000. I'll give you the money. And we just bought it as a backup third car, knowing that one of our other older cars might go soon. And I didn't want to be in a position where if that car, other car went out, that we'd have to go buy a new car because I, I, it's hard to find a good car for a $1,000. But I knew this was one. So that's why we did that. Yeah. Go ahead. So we bought this car as our, you know, backup and our insurance policy. Well, you kind of thought it was silly. I was like, seriously, we were going to spend $1,000 on this? Like, I've got plans for (laughs) (laughs) $1,000. I got a shopping spree. do not want to spend a thousand dollars on a car on a third car when there's just two of us, you know. But sure enough, your car died soon after that. I drove that car for like you, four or five years. Yeah, you drove it for a while. This was a what was it, a ninety-five Taurus? Old Taurus. That old bubbly and one. <laughs> this was probably in this is not the best looking car on 2008, the road. 2009, <laughs> yeah, somewhere it was in old. there. Was it the coolest thing? No. Okay, we we like things to be cool, okay? <laughs> We're cool people. <laughs> but it was not cool. But it was so worth it to be in the position where we paid for our next car with cash. Yeah, we never, our next several cars we never we, borrowed for a car again after, yeah. right? And it Everyone's was like driving around that car for a few years. And really, it was a, kind of our second car because we had the fit by yeah. then. Yeah, which yeah was so a, we didn't have to drive it that often. But anyway, the point is, is that that was... One little thing that led us considerably forward, pushed us considerably forward yeah. down the path towards financial freedom. Yeah. And that very much, I think, tying to the meekness component. That was one of our, I think, better examples of that. We got plenty we could tell you of not doing that, but <laughs> that one. For sure. Yeah. I think I'm lined up a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, there's actually a part two to this wealth secret mm-hmm. that we're going, maybe we're doing that next week. I don't know. I think. I think we'll probably move on to to secret number four. four. I think we might touch on this. It's mostly about entrepreneurship. This book is really good, though. Like, I highly recommend it. Or you can just listen to our highlights because Bob really is reading you most of the highlights from from the chapter. But it's really good. All right. So let's check out some of these comments. I'm not out of debt yet, but working on it. People get mad at me because I'm working on it, and they ask me, wouldn't you rather have a life? (laughs) You're like, oh, just you wait. I'm going to have a great life. And that reminds me of Dave's quote, live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later. Yeah. And you still have a great life, right? I'm sure you do. But I get that, where you're like making some sacrifices. You can just tell them, well, you are working towards a goal. And you have a goal, and meeting your goal is really fun. Just to be clear, like we've made a good number of sacrifices over the years, but we've also... Uh, I feel like we've had a very enjoyable life. Very enjoyable. Like, I don't yeah. feel like we had to sacrifice very much. And so, yeah, me Could not we having... always want more? 
Absolutely. That yeah. list never ends. But the it, eyes of a man are yeah. never satisfied. Like that's, it's always going to be there. Like, and so for me giving up having a newer car and driving an old Taurus for a few years, I mean, come on, that's not that big a deal. Yeah. You know, like that type of sacrifice, I just feel like that's kind of silly. That's just like first world stuff for mm-hmm. me. And it might be different for other people. And you might be in a job where, you know, driving a 13-year-old car, whatever. I don't know if you're a real estate agent or something. Maybe that doesn't work. But the point is, in our situation for us, that wasn't that big of a sacrifice. Yeah. And we've had some other sacrifices, but there's just been a lot that we've been able to do in the mm-hmm. midst of all of it. And I don't look back and be like, man, we had five years that were just miserable. I just see like, I don't know. We uh, moved yeah. forward financially and I see didn't have to give up that much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. And and I think that's the other thing is like getting out of debt is a lofty and biblical goal. And, you know, we've seen this with readers and with viewers and emails we get like over and over and over again. There is this thing where God, it's so clear to me that God wants us to be out of debt so that when we or when we get in alignment with that and when we prayerfully step into it and say, God, I want to do this. Can you help me? Like he comes flooding in with so much support, moving you forward so much faster. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, I did my math. I planned on getting out of debt. It was going to take five years. And we prayed and asked God for help. And two years later, we had all the debt paid (laughs) off. Like I've heard that over Over and over and over and over over again. I can't even tell you how many times. And it's, that's the thing. Bring the Lord into it. It's his desire. It's his will for you. Yeah. And that's a game changer. That's a game changer. Right. Let's see. Paid off our car, drove it for 17 years, then gave it away. We've been carless for four years. May, where do you live that you can be carless? That's amazing. Um, It irks me when you're in a retail store and they push and push for you to get their credit card. I know. (laughs) But sometimes I'm like, man, that extra 10%. (laughs) Doesn't it get you sometimes? But then I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need that. I don't need it. Yeah. Um, Uh, Mesa reminds me of the book Millionaire Next Door. That is another great book. Um, that I recommend basically highlighting the idea that society's impression of what a millionaire is is all wrong. We tend to think of millionaires as like uh, the rap videos where they got all the money that's thrown up in the air. They got all these gold chains on and stuff. And, um, and the reality is that most millionaires don't flaunt it and you wouldn't even know, you know, hence the name The Millionaire Next Door. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great book. Um, so frustrated the book is only available at a reasonable price as an ebook. This is the kind of book you need to have in hand. Yeah, I think the Kindle version is only 10 bucks. I don't know what the paperback is, but yeah. So I will just say this. Education is one of the best investments that you can make. I know sometimes it seems like, you know, a book or a course or whatever the thing may be, some training is expensive. So true. But try to view it as what is this going to do? for me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like if if I can change my mindset here, is that worth more than a couple Starbucks? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like try to frame it against where you might otherwise spend that money. And, you know, I'm not at all saying that whatever, I don't know if it's 20 or 25 bucks right now. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that that's an easy thing for everybody at every, any given point. But I would ask yourself that question about any kind of education. You know, like most of us have no problem spending whatever, 10 or $15 on Netflix or Hulu each month or even going to the theater with a family and spending whatever, 30 bucks or something. So if you take your family to the theater. 
Well, I don't know how Theater. big. <laughs> Theater. Theater. <laughs> I think anyway. you're spending more than 30 bucks. Yeah. Anyway, point is, is that we tend to be really liberal when it comes to uh, entertainment. We actually have a budget but, category for uh, for education. Yeah. You said entertainment. But yeah, you meant I'm, but I'm talking about I'm, we're really liberal about oh. entertainment, but a little more tight fisted on education. And, you know, I don't know, you know, more that has impacted my life positively mm-hmm. in terms of business or finance than the Bible and other yeah. books that I've read, you know, yeah. or classes I've taken. Like, that's the stuff that's really changed a lot. So anyway, that's a little bit of encouragement for anybody who needs a little more incentive to spend money on stuff that will help them grow yeah um that's encouraging to hear you say that the time wasn't miserable i need that encouragement lisa i know you do what were weren't we talking about doing a course or something that was like paying down debt without living like a pauper or something like that ways to save money without living like a pauper no i mean that's in general our thing like all of our content I don't know how how much of our stuff you've seen, but any of the videos I make, like I don't make videos with money-saving tips of, you know, rinsing out your Ziploc bags to save three (laughs) cents. And it's like, and I don't have a problem with anyone doing that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. If you're like in that habit and you don't care, That's not how I, I'm just much more interested in big wins. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the things that take less time and you have bigger results. And they can actually help you enjoy life. Yeah. I absolutely don't think, I think there's a balance point here. And I think there is a way that you can do this and you can do it with God and you can move forward a whole lot faster than you think. Yeah. And I think part of that is looking at what's in your hand and that, that multiplication factor that he's mm-hmm. talking about right here. Because that, I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, like when paying down debt, like that's what, another area where it felt like we felt, we noticed this because it felt like. All right, God, I only have $100 a month to pay towards this debt, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it. Like, rather than just say, it's, I'm never going to get it done, and so why even try? Like, I'm going to take the $100 that I have, it's like and I'm going to trust. Redemption. Yeah, I'm going to trust <laughs> and expect that you're going to multiply it and that you're going to turn it into something. Yeah. And that you're going to make it go faster. And like I said, we saw that in our life. Things just moved so much faster than I thought. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Yeah, just keep chipping away. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all for tonight. Thank you for coming to hang out with us. If uh, you're listening to the podcast, we are recording these every Tuesday night live Mm -hmm. um, on YouTube. You can just go to seedtime.com forward slash live and they'll take you directly to the page and you can join us 8 p.m. Central Time every Tuesday night. And if you're listening to it on iTunes or something, you can leave us a review there because that's super helpful for us, Mm -hmm. um, getting this in front of more people and reaching more people with this message. So... Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for listening. Be blessed. Be a blessing. And we'll see you soon.